the writing is on the wall. I wasn't actually intending for you to look around, but just think of the phrase, the writing is on the wall. It's a phrase that is indicating what? What, do you, what? what kind of feeling do you get when you hear that phrase? Maybe it's a little bit ominous, maybe a little bit of troubled, maybe wondering, because we use the phrase, the writing is on the wall, to indicate that there's some kind of coming disaster. Something bad is about to happen. And that's what we've, we've come to know about that expression, that phrase, the writing is on the wall. We are um, in a series of messages that we have called Thriving in Babylon. Today is message number six out of seven as we teach our way through uh, the first half of the book of Daniel in the Old Testament portion of your Bible. So the fact that today is number six out of seven means that we've already preached how many? Five. Five weeks. We've been teaching through the book of Daniel. Then we took a two-week break. Now uh, today and next Sunday, we're going to finish this series called Thriving in Babylon. When you think of the true historical person from the Old Testament who was named Daniel, you think of him where? In the lion's den. Well, come back next Sunday. That's where we'll finish the series. Is, uh, is considering this incredible uh, a historical account of Daniel among the lions. Today, uh, we're going to find out where that phrase comes from. The writing is on the wall, and I think you'll find it uh, just as interesting, and, and we want to always ask God what he wants to teach us through his word. So if you haven't already done so, grab your Bible, open up with me to Daniel chapter 5, uh, either hopefully you got a Bible with you, or um, we'll have some verses on the screen, or if you have an, uh, a Bible app on your device, you can do that too. Find Daniel 5. Feel free to use the table of contents. It's in the first big section of your Bible of the Old Testament. If you're flipping through looking for Daniel, you're going to see Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then Daniel. And if you get to Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, you've gone too far. Okay. So find Daniel chapter 5, and we'll start reading that together in just a moment. And as you find it, I'll say good morning, church family. It's good to be with you as always. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, as always, part of our opportunities on Sunday to gather together is is to study his word. We worship and and look to Jesus in many ways. We are uh, gathering together to give you opportunity to be praising him and praying and singing worship to him and giving our gifts and connecting with others. And then part of that is we want to study his word together. So hopefully you've made it to Daniel chapter 5. All right. And as I often say, I'm going to encourage you to put yourself in the story this morning. Instead of Instead of reading words on a page as if part of some fictional novel, let's not do that. Let's put ourselves in this true historical account. And what I mean by put ourselves there is what? Imagine yourself there. Don't just read words, but imagine yourself in these situations. And let's ask God to teach us uh, through his word. So, Daniel chapter 5, starting at verse 1. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords, and he drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, he commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, his predecessor, 
had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, he ordered that these sacred items, these sacred vessels, cups, be taken out of the temple and be brought. What does the rest of verse 2 say? He had them taken out of the temple and brought so that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So then in verse 3, they brought out these golden vessels, these sacred items from the temple of the one true God, and, and, and they brought them out of the house of God at Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, the gods of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So that's the setting the stage for our passage this morning. Welcome back to Babylon. If you've been tracking with us here, we've, yes, we've skipped ahead in history a bit because in, in our previous uh, sections of scripture, Daniel has been working under what king? Nebuchadnezzar. So let's call him Nebi for fun. Okay? So he's been working under Nebuchadnezzar, but Nebuchadnezzar's reign has ended. Uh, chapter six picks up the story. We have, um, or chapter, what, am I, what chapter are we in? Five. Chapter, <laughs> chapter five has picked up the story with the last king in the history of Babylon, Belshazzar. Let's call him Belly because that's more fun. And yet, and welcome to Babylon and, and these kings, and it doesn't matter who is king, we find ourselves in a mess again because yet again we find ourselves in the midst of a completely godless culture. We find ourselves in this case, in these couple of verses, in the midst of drunken revelry in the king's court, and not just drunken revelry, but drunken, drunken revelry that includes desecrating God's holy temple and, and these items from the temple. So... Should it be any surprise that the one true God is not pleased? Let's go to verse 5. Immediately, we could also read that, suddenly, the writing was on the wall. Look! I mean, suddenly, there is a hand writing on the wall. The fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the hand as it wrote. And then, imagine this, jump in the story with us here, and then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. When you look at the original language that this passage was written in, and if we translated it um, uh, that, that, that those words that have been in our English translations as his limbs gave way or his knees were knocking together, the, the original language says something along these lines. The joints of his loins were loosened. Rather than translating this, he got weak in the knees. Some commentators believe it was intended to communicate that the king lost control of his bodily functions. But what's the situation? Do you blame them? There's writing, there's a hand writing on the wall. See why we have to put ourselves in the story? And not just like, la, 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 there's a hand writing on the wall. Verse 7. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared 
to the wise men of Babylon. Okay, speaking of putting ourselves in the story, I want you, you are going to get your chance to play a part here this morning. First, we're going to go with you men. You are going to play the part of the king. Are you ready with your best voice acting skills? Okay, men, playing the king, reading together from the screen. Go. And then the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing, or they could not make known to the king the interpretation, what the words on the wall meant. So then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and guess what happens again? His color changed. Dude is nervous. And, the lords were, and the, his lords were also perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, ladies, in your best voice acting abilities, queen, go ahead. One more slide, keep going. Nebuchadnezzar. So the queen says to the nervous king, we should get this guy Daniel. The the stories, rumor has it that he knows what he's talking about and that he has this wisdom that we know as the reader, that we know today as being given to Daniel by who? By God himself. And so it sounds, it's interesting because we've skipped ahead in history from being Daniel working under Nebuchadnezzar to now, uh, who is king now? Belly. And, and it seems like Daniel has been forgotten uh, because under Nebuchadnezzar, he had risen to a pretty prestigious position, and now the, the queen has to explain to Belly who this guy even is. Verse 13, so Daniel was brought in before the king, and here the men in the room get one more chance at your voice acting abilities. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king answered and said to Daniel... Filled with insight, understanding, and wisdom. But they cannot do it.
A little tough, huh, fellas? <laughs> That was kind of mean of me. I didn't give you any chance ahead of time to look at the words or practice or anything. Now for Daniel's response, verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. It's interesting here to notice that Daniel seems to address Belly more firmly than he did Nebi. It seems like he's kind of done away with some of the, the, the typical etiquette of interacting with the king, of being in the king's court. In this situation, Daniel is being a little bit more firm, a little bit more direct, and he instead is getting down to business and ready to share with Belly what God has to say. And I just, as a quick side note, think that we can observe and, and, and take um, notice of Daniel's example that as God calls us to interact with non-believing people around us, it's not going to be the same every time. He, he's going to, as we are led by the Holy Spirit, our interactions with different people and at different times are going to come across in different ways. As we are submitted to the Holy Spirit living within us and guiding us in our conversations, it's going to look differently. We're not going to use the same strategies, the same timing, the same words with every situation in our life. Does that make sense? And and no matter what it is, as God speaks through us to people around us that need him, we want to speak truth. We want to speak truth. And we want to speak truth in love. So here's Daniel's response, verse 18. O king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar your father, God gave him kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. That, that should sound familiar. That continues a theme of the book of Daniel, that God is the one who sets rulers on thrones and takes them off of thrones. That the one true God is the one who exalts nations and takes down nations. These kings think they're all that, and that they've got it under control. But Daniel says, it's the most high God who gave Nebuchadnezzar greatness and glory and majesty. Verse 19, and because of the greatness that God gave Nebuchadnezzar, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, whom Nebuchadnezzar wanted to, he killed. Whom Nebuchadnezzar would, he kept alive. Whom Nebuchadnezzar would, he raised up. And whom Nebuchadnezzar would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly. Nebuchadnezzar was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. If that sounds a little strange, and you missed it a couple weeks ago, you can always go to our website or our YouTube page and, and catch up. That was a previous, a previous sermon here in Daniel. That verse continues. Nebuchadnezzar was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he was in that predicament. Nebuchadnezzar was in that situation until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. So as Daniel's, now Daniel continues, let's hear what God has to say to Belly through Daniel. Verse 22, and you... His son Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart, 
Though you knew all this story about Nebuchadnezzar, though you knew all of what Nebuchadnezzar had gone through, how he thought he was so great, how God brought him low, how he recognized the greatness of God, and how God restored him. Belly, even though you knew all about that, all about what happened, verse 23, you have lifted your, up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of God's house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which those, those gods do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and, whose, uh, and, who, and who holds in his hand all of your ways, you have not honored him. And so verse 24 says, Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. So God's word has just told us the reason why the hand is writing on the wall. It's that Beli has not honored God and not humbled him be himself before the one true God. And so now what are these ominous words? What is being written on the wall? What is making Beli lose control of his bodily functions? Verse 25, and this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of that matter, Mene. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed. You have been weighed in the balances and been found wanting, been found lacking. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So Daniel translates the words on the wall. No one else could figure it out, but because Daniel is full of, of God himself and because God is speaking through him, he is able to reveal the, the meaning of these words to King Belshazzar. And that was the writing on the wall. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parsin. And since Daniel had successfully translated it and told the king the meaning, we continue in verse 29, then Belshazzar gave the command, and he's true to his word here, that Daniel was clothed with purple. This should sound familiar to you men who were playing the part of the king because you had to read something like this twice, right? That Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now, that sounds really great for Daniel. You think, wow, okay, Daniel got another promotion. He's working under a new king, and this new king has uh, recognized his God-given wisdom and has promoted him. Well, Daniel's reward and promotion didn't mean much because, verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed. And Darius the Mede the king, the ruler of a whole different nation, received the kingdom at about 62 years old. So what was the writing on the wall for Belly? Numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided. And perhaps at these kind of moments in studying God's word, perhaps we go, okay, Neat story, true historical account from history from a long time ago. This king that doesn't get it, God's not happy with him. But then what do we do with this? 
church family. This is what we need to get good at asking. What do we do with this? What's the writing on the wall today, so to speak? As God gets our attention through his word, through this true historical account that had purpose for Belly's life, he also has purpose for us today as we study his word. So uh, because we know that God's word is relevant and useful and living and active and absolutely has something to say to you and I today in 2023 as much as it did when it was written, because we know that, we ask, okay, so what does this message to Belshazzar have to do with us? And I think there's two things I'm going to suggest that we want to um, consider this with the rest of our time here. Reality and urgency. There's a reality that Belly needs to reckon with. And just like this passage points out the reality that Belly needs to reckon with, there are some realities that are true before God that we need to reckon with as well. And then that reality creates urgency. The reality of, of, of what we need to reckon with before God ought to create some urgency in our lives. So let's take um, a little look at that. Numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided. Notice that the handwriting on the wall, he uses that first word twice. He says numbered twice. Belshazzar's days were indeed numbered. In fact, he died when? That very night. Numbered, numbered. Belshazzar's days were numbered. In retrospect, as we look back on this story now, in retrospect, what we see is that he was feasting and drinking and throwing a party and desecrating God's temple and having a grand old time. He was feasting on the edge of the grave. He was throwing a party when, when the enemy army was likely encamped on the outskirts of town ready to conquer. Could he have been so oblivious to that? Was he really oblivious to the enemy army encamped and ready to take over that he just threw a party? I don't know. I don't know if he was so oblivious. I, I think maybe he was that oblivious, but maybe it's more likely that he was ignoring the danger because he had a false sense of security. I'm all that. I'm King Belshazzar. I'm rich and powerful and wealthy. Nothing's going to happen to me. I'm just going to throw this party. Numbered. Numbered. His days were numbered. Let's not, church family, let's not inadvertently feast on the edge of the grave. And what I mean by that is let's not be oblivious to our impending spiritual doom that is true if we are apart from Jesus Christ. There's a reality, there's a reality that Belly is confronted with that we need to be confronted with as well. Not only were the Belly's earthly days numbered, our earthly days are numbered too. James 4 tells us that our lives in the flesh are but a mist and then they vanish. And what happens to us after that? What happens after our journey through this earthly life? What, what happens after we've completed our earthly journey? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.10 on the screen says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due 
for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. If we, if we will someday receive what is due to us, let me rephrase, since we will someday stand before God and receive what is due to us, shouldn't that impact the way we live our lives today? Shouldn't it be extremely important to determine what our lives are based on? What we are building our life on? Are we building our lives? Are, 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 what, what are we putting on the throne of our life, so to speak? I, I love earlier when we were praying, Pastor Matt just reminded me of the fact that Daniel, in, in the course of these few chapters, we see that Daniel is, is under multiple kings. The, the, who's on the earthly throne changes, but God stays the same. And, and Daniel, no matter who's serving on the earthly throne, is determined to serve the one true God. And so, so as Belly is confronted with the reality, then we ought to be con confronted with the reality too of what we're building our life on, something good or bad, something fleeting or something that will last. Are we building our life on what is meaningless or what is meaningful? I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 7. You can just listen. Um, this will be familiar because just a few months ago, we taught through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teaching, and this is how we ended that series. This is the, pre the passage we preached, we taught on Easter Sunday. And when we ask ourselves the question, what are we building our lives on? Listen to these words from Jesus himself in Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the what? On the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but that house did not fall because it had been founded on the rock who is Jesus Christ. And Jesus' words continue. He says, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house. And that house fell. And great was the fall of it. Belshazzar was building on the sand of his power, of his wealth, of his fame, and he ignored warnings to humble himself. He had seen God's work in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He had been given this warning by Daniel. And Belshazzar was too busy building on, the, on his life on the sand. And, and many of us today, in 2023, perhaps even some of us that are here in this room, ignore the reality we discussed earlier. And we deliberately ignore how God is revealing himself to us. God is revealing himself to you in so many ways through the scriptures, through his word. We see God through all that he has made, his creation, the beauty of all that he has made in the world. We see God revealing himself to us even in our conscience. What are you building your life on? Numbered numbered, weighed, and divided. If our days are numbered and it matters what we build our life upon, 
then there is also an urgency. The realities of, 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 of life being, our earthly life being short, the realities of, of God being a God of justice, the realities of it mattering what our life is built on create an urgency for us to respond to Jesus, an urgency for us to not only respond to Jesus and find our life in him for our own eternal salvation, but then also there create, this ought to also create an urgency for us to share God's love with those who need it. So first of all, there's an urgency because we already talked about this, when we don't know when our earthly lives will end. There ought to be an urgency because our days are numbered, and, and, and also there ought to be an urgency because we don't know when Jesus will return. The, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. In other words, we don't know when Jesus will come. It will be a surprise. It, it, it is best that we are ready, that, that, we have made, uh, that we have made things right with him, that we have built our life on the rock who is Jesus Christ. There's urgency here. And in, this story, in, the, in the scripture passage we studied this morning, Belly's life ended that very night. Being rich and famous and powerful didn't help him. The things that he had built his life on that he thought mattered didn't help him. Earthly power and fame and wealth and the other things that we put overemphasis in, that we spend inordinate amounts of time on, all those things are fleeting they're, they're part of earthly life, with this, which is just a mist in the scope of eternity. And, and as, if we try to stack up before God, if you and I were, were to come to God with all these things that we think are important and that we've done and that we think make us valuable, and we were to pile all these things up, and he were to put them on the balances, and he were to weigh them, if he were to measure your worth, we would be found lacking numbered, numbered, weighed, and, and found wanting. There's nothing that we can do out of our own efforts to, to, to please or earn our way to God. When our lives are uh, uh, numbered, I mean, when our lives are weighed in, on the balances of God's, against God's glory and his perfect holiness, we come up short. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this should be a wake-up call for us. This should be alarming. Maybe like in our scripture passage, what happened to King Belly, this should make our color change. Knowing that all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. While our earthly days um, might be numbered, our souls are eternal. And so each day that we are apart from Christ, we are feasting on the edge of the grave. Each day that we are apart from Christ, we are feasting on the edge of, of the grave, throwing a party, acting like nothing matters, acting like we can do whatever we want when the enemy army is on the outskirts of town and our days are numbered and we will be found lacking. Each day that we are apart from Christ, we are feasting on the edge of the grave and as long as we reject Jesus, the writing is on the wall. As churchgoers, we, um, as churchgoers, we perhaps we often like to reflect on on um, the positive side of eternity. When we think of things lasting eternally, 
we would probably prefer to spend more time thinking about eternity in the presence of God, enjoying him for all time, being, being saved, being made right, being forgiven. But it's also important that we recognize the Bible also teaches the brutal potential reality of spending eternity apart from God if we are not submitted to Christ, if we have not found our salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Mark 1, these are Jesus' words on the screen, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Well, what is the good news? And as we sometimes say around here, the good news, uh, we can't understand the good news until we reckon with the bad news. We've already done that in the last few minutes. It's sobering. It should be alarming. It should make our color change to recognize that our days are numbered, that it matters what our lives are founded on, and that when we stack up all of our efforts and all the things we've tried to do to be a good person, to go to church, to read our Bibles, when we stack all of that up on God's scales and he weighs it, we will be found lacking. So we've, we've wrestled a little bit with the bad news. We've been weighed and found lacking. We are sinners. We don't match up to God's holy and righteous standard. We fall short. We rebel. We go against him. We know it. But God, but, but we, we get to hear the good news, and, and we think it's glorious news if we've reckoned with that bad news, if we, if we understand our need for God, our sinful, selfish nature, then this, then this is glorious news that God sent Jesus to rescue us from sin and death. That Jesus, listen to this, church family, that Jesus when he is weighed on God's scale, is not lacking at all. Jesus and his perfect, sinless life meets God's standard, does what we cannot do. He lives the life that we are not capable of, and God sent his son to rescue us from death, uh, sin and death. The gospel is the spectacular good news that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus' sinless life, his perfect meeting God's standard righteous life is the perfect substitute for us. That's why Jesus went to the cross in our place. His perfect life that we cannot live, he gave to us. He took upon his shoulders on the cross all the weight and, and death and punishment that our sin deserves. He took that upon himself. And in exchange, he gave us his holy righteousness. Forgiving our sin giving us life, life now and life with God forever. Jesus, as we said earlier, as it is on the screen again, Jesus said, repent and believe the good news. So we've talked about that good news part. What's the repent part? Well, Belshazzar knew that God humbles the proud. Belly had seen the example of what God had done with Nebuchadnezzar. And yet, Belly did not humble himself. It is not enough for us to just know that God offers salvation through Jesus. Our hearts must, must turn to God. 
We must repent. We must turn away from our old life, from our sins, from walking our own way, from doing whatever we want. We repent of that and we turn to Jesus. Our hearts must turn from going our own way, trying to do it on our own, and instead we receive the free gift of God through Jesus. We receive God's free gift of salvation our trust in Jesus by knowing that God sent him to do what we cannot done for you his life, death, and resurrection. Puts it this way, Tim Keller is a pastor, author, who just passed away last week. And I've, I've used this before, and I love how he summarizes the good news. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's good news. Have you received God's gift by putting your faith in Jesus Christ? Father in heaven, thank you for opportunities to hear from you through your word. And we thank you for this morning in Daniel 5 through examples of Belshazzar, of Nebuchadnezzar, and of Daniel, and even more though, we, God, we are, we are thankful for examples of your work in the world, that it's you who is sovereign over all, that it's you who exalts kings and moves nations. God, I pray that that would cause us to live in awe of you, knowing that you are sovereign and over all and in all, and that you are working for our good and your glory. Would our, would our study of your word put us in awe of you and help us to recognize our need for you every day? Father, you are creator of all things, and you have created us to be in relationship with you, and yet our sinful rebellion broke that relationship, but you didn't leave us there, apart from you, stuck in our sin. God, we thank you for rescuing us through Jesus, that you sent your son to live a perfect life, to die a substitutionary death, and to be raised victoriously, victorious over the, over the grave, over sin, over death, be risen from the dead so that we too can have life. God, thank you. I pray for each person here. I pray for uh, people that we know. Would you cause us to know our need for you? Would you cause us to put our trust in you? Would you help us to recognize we can't live for ourselves, we can't save ourselves, but that you are offering the free gift of salvation through Jesus? Thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for teaching us through this passage of Scripture. We do, Lord, we want to pray also this morning for our sister church in Bellingham, Washington. And we pray for Pastor Bob there and the church family there, that, you're, that you'd be at work in them, that that would be a church that would be um, exalting Jesus in all they do. And God, would you give them just encouragement and strength to continue to live for you in their neighborhood, that that church would make a difference for Jesus far and wide. We pray that they'd be encouraged today. God, I pray for my church family here. I pray for each of these people that I love, that you would um, encourage them today, that you would strengthen them today, that you would remind them that you are with them, that they can depend on you, that they can look to you for all they need.
God, would you work in their lives? And Father, we're thankful for opportunities on Sunday to gather and worship, and we worship you in many ways through, through our singing and through our prayers and through studying your word. And also, Lord, as it comes time to give the offering here in a moment, we want to praise you. I want to report, um, just a re- I just want to rejoice with church family over your goodness to us. God, we praise you that now two months in a row, you've enabled us by your grace to meet our budget. God, we thank you for your generosity to this church family, your provision and your care for this church family through the generosity of your people. Thank you, God, that you are there for us and that yet again, uh, you have just, you show us how faithful you are and how we are always in your hands. So help us to continue to look to you, look to continue to trust in you, to continue to know of your continued provision for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.